Aloha and welcome to uh, another episode of the Birds Report uh, podcast here on A2D Radio. We've got a great show for you today. I have a very special guest, former Eagles great, uh, one of the best cornerbacks who's ever played in this league, uh, Eric Allen. He'll be with us shortly. Uh, before that, don't forget to uh, like and subscribe on YouTube to uh, to our show. And uh, now we are going to go to uh, Tom. What's up, my family? Listen, first time listener, or you've been here the whole damn time. Hit that like, hit that subscribe, giddy up, let's go, no notes. That's my baby. That's my baby. We're going at it at 110%. I just want five minutes of happiness, please. Just give me five minutes. And they did it! They did it! What the hell was that? Oh, yeah! What the f*** are you talking about? And we're back. Uh, sadly, the Philly season ended last night, but it's been a, a, a much better week for uh, for the Eagles. Uh, on Sunday night, they donned their throwback Kelly Green jerseys and went out and beat the Miami Dolphins, uh, holding Tyreek Hill and company to no points in the second half. Then on Monday, Howie Roseman worked some of his trade uh, deadline magic, acquiring two-time All-Pro safety Kevin Byard from the uh, Tennessee Titans which should provide a big, big boost to their thin secondary as they head uh, into the murderer's row portion of their schedule and the playoffs after that. Uh, first, they'll head to Washington this week and try to complete a sweep of their season series against the Commanders for the fifth time in the last seven years. Uh, speaking of those Kelly Green jerseys, uh, few players in Eagles history wore that color better than, than my guest today. Uh, Eric Allen was a key part of one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. Uh, you can talk all you want about the fearsome foursome and the purple people eaters and the killer bees and Tampa's nicknameless defense of the early 2000s. Uh, fact of the matter is the Eagles defense of the late 80s and early 90s, which was affectionately known as gang green around Philadelphia, uh, were every bit as good, maybe better than than all of those units. Uh led by Eric and Reggie White and Jerome Brown and Seth Joyner and Clyde Simmons and Wes Hopkins and Andre Waters. Uh, Gang Green was the league's most feared defense of that era. Uh, a few years ago, the website uh, Football Outsiders ranked the Eagles' 1991 team as the best defense of the last 30 years. Uh, that year, they became the first defense in history to finish first against the run, against the pass, and overall. They were a takeaway machine, finishing in the top eight in takeaways every year from 1988 to 1994, which not coincidentally happened to coincide with the years Eric played for the Eagles. Eric spent 14 years in the NFL, seven with the Eagles, three with the New Orleans Saints, and the final four with the Oakland Raiders, the now Las Vegas Raiders. Um, that he still isn't yet in the Hall of Fame is an absolute injustice I hope soon will be rectified. He's tied for 21st all-time in interceptions with 24, with 54. He had five or more in a season, no less than six times. Uh, he's tied for eighth in interception returns for touchdowns with eight, including four, four in one season in 1993, which still is a league record. Uh, Eric played in six Pro Bowls, was a two-time All-Pro, six-time All-Conference, he was one of four corners named to 
Pro Football References uh, All-90s team, along with Deion Sanders, Rod Woodson, and Aeneas Williams. Um, he um, He's the only one of those four, sadly, who uh, somehow still isn't in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's made it to 25 over the last three, over the, uh, each of the last three years, uh, but still hasn't survived the cut uh, to 15. Uh, could this be the year that changes? We'll see. I certainly hope so. I'm hopeful it's going to happen, and I imagine so does Eric. Eric, thanks so much for joining me on the Birds Report podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Paul, man. What a fantastic introduction. I really appreciate it and uh, kind of takes me back to those uh, great times with uh, Buddy and Reggie and Clyde, Seth, all those uh, great memories we had. But I uh, really appreciate the great introduction. You bet. You get some goosebumps on Sunday night watching that game <laughs> uh, and, and seeing those Kelly Green uniforms. Uh, I tell you what, uh, my phone was just buzzing off the hook. Of course, social media was all a buzz. The colors look great. Not only did the jerseys, but the socks, the logo in the middle of the football field, just a really cool look for all those uh, younger folks who hadn't experienced the Kelly Greens in their in their full display. Yeah. Now, I know you're doing some uh, broadcasting work uh, for the Raiders, so I guess that kind of pro, uh, prohibits you from getting back to Philly much uh, for games, huh? Yeah, it does. And unfortunately, uh, during the season, you get these opportunities to come back, particularly for that game, uh, representing the, the Eagles and the Kelly Green, all the alumni. So I had a bunch of friends back there. But unfortunately, during the regular season, it hasn't been uh, an opportunity really since I retired. Uh, I retired in yeah. 2001, 2002, and right from there, I went to ESPN. But the playoffs are a different story. Uh, last year, I was able to come back several times for uh, NFC Championship game and, of course, went to the Super Bowl in Arizona. So I had a, a great opportunity to react with the fans at the NFC Championship game. I was in the parking lot with all the tailgaters. It was really cool and awesome time. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the fan base for the Eagles is, uh, as you well know, from when you played here, it's it's, it's special. And, and now you're working for another one where the fans are, are pretty uh, dedicated <laughs> with the Raiders, no matter what city they happen to be playing in. Yeah, you are right about that, Paul. One, two of the great things is I started my career off, obviously, in Philadelphia and those fans welcomed me uh, in and just just to see how how excited they are about the team in the in the grocery store and always having positive things to say about us and then ending my career with the Raiders and their fan base equally excited about you know seeing their guys you know being able to reach out and touch them in the community so both fan bases were just awesome. And to this day, you know, when you go to Texas, if you go east of Texas, everyone sees me and they immediately say, you know, hey, 21 Eagles. And then in west of Texas, basically it's a Raider fan. So, yeah. <laughs> so two great fan bases and uh, they still, to this day, when they see you and they go right back to those times when you played. 
Yeah. You had mentioned earlier about, you know, when you joined this, the Eagles and you were a second round pick in 88 out of Arizona state. Um, you, you come, you, you know, buddy Ryan's the coach. You've got all these, uh, veterans with swagger like Seth and Reggie and Jerome. Uh, I mean, what was it like for you as a, as a young player back then when, when you came to this team? Well, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So, so when I was uh, in college, we had a strength and conditioning coach by the name of Ronnie Jones and mm -hmm. Ronnie left, I believe my sophomore or junior year and went to the league and was the strength and conditioning coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. So periodically during that season, when I was in college, you know, he reached out to some coaches on our coaching staff and mentioned like, hey, you know, you know, our head coach really likes um, EA. And so, you know, word trickles down and here yeah. I am, you know, in college. And luckily that relationship between me and, and Ronnie, I was able to kind of understand like, wow, this guy, Buddy Ryan, you know, the architect of the, you know, Bears defense really likes me and <laughs> likes our plays and things like that. So it was just a reassuring that at that point in college that I would hopefully have an opportunity, you know, to play in the league. And I had never, Paul, I had never thought about the National Football League. I, I really didn't. There was, we had great players on our team. Dave Fulcher, who was like a three-time All-American, you know, he played for the Bengals. And we had a couple other guys in the league who I played for, but that was never like my main thought. I just wanted to win a Rose Bowl. You know, I just wanted to, you know, go to this <laughs> school that I really wanted to go to since I was really young and play. So fast forward, you know, we finished the year off. We're going through the draft process. And again, you know, Ronnie Jones connects with the coaches. They're like, hey, man, you know, Buddy Ryan really likes you. He's going to try and pick you up between you and this tight end from Oklahoma. And uh, so that was, I think they had like the 13th pick, if I'm not mistaken, in the draft that year in 88. So yeah. as the process is going on, you know, you're having all these interviews with these teams. And I, I interviewed with the Bears, the Falcons, uh, I believe Seattle, the Raiders, a bunch of teams. And when we come to the draft process, Buddy had already had in mind, you know, kind of where he wanted me to fit in this defense, things like that. So I get drafted, get the phone call, and it's just so kind of unbelievable that, you know, a guy from Southeast San Diego is going to be playing on the same field as Reggie White. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so Randall Cunningham and Keith Byers and Mike Quick and all those guys. So it was just a, a, a just a big present, and just, I just had to trust, you know, that I was yeah. going to be able to measure up. Well, you fit in very nicely as a rookie, starting right away, and uh, and you were kind of like the final piece of the puzzle for that uh, that defense. Yeah, uh, you were not the typical NFL corner back then. Um, you were what people like to call a student of the game now. Yeah. Uh, you talked to you talked to a, a lot of great corners back then. Uh, I remember you saying how you you know talked to Roynell and 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 Herb Adderley and people like that to, about yeah. the position, about how to play it. 
Uh, you studied tape before it became fashionable. You kept notebooks uh, with information on your opponents. Um, I was talking to Rich Gannon, your former Raiders teammate, uh, and he said, <laughs> uh, he said, Eric was one of the smartest players I've ever played with or against. You could talk to him during the week about Denver's offense or Kansas City's offense. Some defensive backs, particularly corners, it's uh, I'm covering this guy. It's either man or zone. <laughs> they they all that's all they know. He said, but not not Eric. He, he understood formations. He understood personnel groupings. He understood splits. I mean, was that something you learned at an early age as far as playing yeah. that position? Yeah, it was. And uh, a couple. First of all. I have to give so much credit to uh, <clears throat> Coach Shaw, Willie Shaw. He's the father of David Shaw, the legendary right. coach of Stanford. And our, I mean, he was recruited me out of high school and was a huge, huge advocate for just understanding like the game and being someone who could not only physically play the position, but mentally played a position. And he always told me, he right. said, at some point, E, you're not going to be able to run a 4-3. You're not going to have a 38, 39-inch vertical. How are you going to survive when you get to that point? And I really didn't think about it at that time because, you know, I'm 19, you know, years old. So I always think I'm going to be able to run faster than everybody and jump higher and, you know, be able to have, you know, catch the ball and things like that. When I got to the league, that first training camp, when people who are still in college, you go to training camp and then you used to go back to school. Right? You used to go back to school to finish and, and, and do whatever. Yeah. Buddy told me, he said, hey, you're a professional football player now. You're gonna start day one. And um, for you to, for you to start on day one, you're going to have to stay here. And so I, I, I took a risk. I called back to school, said, hey, I'm withdrawing from school. I'm going to stay back here and I'm going to just dedicate all my time to being the best player I can be if he's saying I'm going to start day one. So I was back there. And while I was back there, I was like under Roy Nell's Roynell Young's wing. You know, he would take me downtown Philly on Friday, he would eat lunch, and he would just talk about the game. At that point, he was in year eight. He had been in the Super Bowl his rookie year, played against Cliff Branch. And now, eight years later, you know, he's at the end of his, end of his uh, line. And he's explaining to me about how he gets prepared for game, how it was different from his rookie year. So I was able to take a lot of that and kind of build it into my game early. And another person was Mike Quick. Mike Quick right. was so great at um, just taking me and just teaching me early on. And I just got like a baptism that first, you know, I don't know, seven, eight weeks before training camp even started about being a pro how to, you know, manage your week, ice tub, all that stuff. So I was, I was operating on, you know, a seven, eight year kind of veteran timeline when most other guys 
were still, you know, rookies and and basically on that on that path. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Quick is a terrific guy, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stories with Mike. Eric, we're going to take a quick break for a commercial, but we'll be right back. All right. Royal Billiard and Recreation, proudly celebrating 40 years and our new, bigger showroom. Twice the size and twice the fun. More pool tables by Olhausen. More dartboard sets, including custom-reclaimed backboards. More bar and kitchen stools that can change a room. And more bars, including pre-built and custom. Hot tubs, skee-ball, shuffleboard, outdoor, and fun. Royal Billiard and Recreation, your ultimate game room store. Now located on Bethlehem Pike in Colmar. In our family, food is our daily bond. My nonna, affectionately called mama by many, found solace and joy in the kitchen, sharing her love through delicious creations. She turned her culinary passion into a flourishing business alongside her husband and sons in 1983. Celebrating 40 years is a testament to our exceptional team, friends, family, and beloved customers. With gratitude, we look forward to the future, expanding our brand to share the highest quality Italian food and wine nationwide. Our heartfelt thanks to everyone who has played a part in our story. Grazie mille. And we're back with Eric Allen. Eric, um, you played for two of the probably, two, I mean, two of the best, maybe top five all time defensive coaches uh, in the history of the league in, in Buddy and then Bud Carson uh, after Buddy left. The very different people, at least in, in my mind, they were very different. Uh, I don't know, not necessarily scheme-wise, but personality-wise. I mean, what was it like playing for the, uh, the two of them, and how different was it? Yeah, Paul, that's a great point that you mentioned those two uh, men who hopefully are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at some point. And you're right. They were so different. Uh, personality-wise, you know, Buddy was – you know, he was out there and he was going to let you know exactly uh, how he felt. And he was an extrovert kind of. And Bud was completely opposite. You know, Bud would spend countless, countless hours in the facility, you know, after everyone was gone. So sometimes I would, you know, check out pretty late. And I would walk by and Bud would still be in there breaking down, <laughs> breaking down film. And, yeah. uh, and someone... Because I think Bud uh, was more of a – he loved defensive backfield. And kind of that's where he coached from. He coached from back end down where Buddy, you know he loved those guys up front. Buddy loved his defensive ends, his defensive tackles, yeah. backers. So he coached from a defensive perspective from front to back. And that was one of the um, – one, one of the things I think Buddy wanted to – strengthen when he got to Philly was was the defensive backfield. He didn't believe that he had in Chicago the type of maybe corners that, you know, could have been there and made that defense even more dominant. So that's one of the things he wanted to make sure he was able to solidify with uh, our Eagle defense. So, yeah, two totally different guys, but awesome being in the room with them. So much experience. Um, you know, being able to adjust and change and feel confident about those changes as far as game time and, and in-game situations. And another, both of them were really um, 
uh, helpful in trying to make sure you know you set the standard and you become right. that standard as, as far as a defense in the National Football League. Yeah, you know, I covered the NFL for nearly forty years for the Inquirer and the Daily News, and the the memories of everything I covered in pro football kind of tend to run together a lot. You know, people ask me, well, what's the greatest Super Bowl game you ever watched? And it's like, <laughs> I just, I'm not very good at that, especially as yeah. I've gotten older. But, but a, a memory that is still as vivid as the day I watched it, 1993, October, uh, your, your 94 yard interception return against the Jets. Uh, just, Randall Cunningham goes down with a season-ending injury earlier in the game. Yeah. Uh, you guys are losing early in the fourth quarter, and you pick off uh, Boomer Esiason and return at 94 yards. And then to cap everything off, Randall is on crutches sitting, right. standing in the tunnel of the in the end zone. And as you score, uh, you hand him the ball. I mean, it was like – I mean, that's one of those things you never forget. I mean, Steve Sable yeah. called it the – uh, the former NFL films uh, uh, president uh, called it the, the greatest interception return in, in NFL history. Um, wow. I'm sure it's still, still one of those things you remember like it's yesterday. I do. I do. And last week we had a lot of that uh, talking to uh, media folks who were going to cover the game last week against uh, the Eagles and Jets and just a, a bunch of it, I guess it was two weeks ago. And it was um, – it was, it's it's difficult because Randall got hurt again, right? Yeah. Remember in Green Bay years earlier, right. he got hurt. And we yeah. always had one of those teams that were just, a, you know, just an opportunity, a break away, we thought, from getting ourselves to the NFC Championship game, which at that time, Paul, as you know, that was really the Super Bowl. Not yeah. the real Super Bowl, but the winner of the NFC Championship game yeah was usually going to be the Super Bowl champ. And those right. kind of things we would talk, talk about when we were at the Pro Bowl also is like, man, I can't wait to, you know, match up with the Cowboys in the championship game. Or is it going to be, you know, the San Francisco 49ers or whoever it is? You thought that that NFC championship game was really it. So going to the Jets game, you know, RC gets hurt. He's our guy. You know, we're falling behind. And I, re I remember – you know, when Boomer, he he, he kind of threw it behind the receiver. So I had to make a little adjustment to just catch the ball. And so as I catch the ball, you know, the rule for all DBs or defensive players is when you catch the interception, get to the nearest sideline, get as many yards as you can, and, you know, get out. Yeah. You know, because, you know, they think defensive players can't, you know, they're going to fumble the ball if they get tackled or something. So as I'm, as I'm catching the ball – I will around and I'm looking upfield and I, I'm not sure if I really see this, but I see like Boomer Siason kind of walking towards his sideline. Like, Oh, this guy's just gonna, you know, go down on the ground or my teammates are going to tackle him. So I thought in my mind, like, Oh, you think that's going to happen? <laughs> so I kind of, you know, turned into, I'm going to get as many yards as I can here. And once I kind of, you know, do a couple moves, and I see this crease, and if I hit that crease, I'm going to be good. And so that's kind of mm -hmm. where the, the spin and then the couple back steps, and it seems like if I hit the turbos and make it through this gap, I'm going to be good. So once I make it through the gap, 
I cut back. There's a couple uh, offensive linemen that I have to kind of avoid. And then as I'm running down our sideline, Ben Smith is coming. And, you know, I'm thinking he's like, pitch the ball. <laughs> what are you, I'm not going to do all this work and then pitch the ball. So I kind of widen a little bit. And then he's able to come and make a last block. And then as I'm entering the end zone after the high stepping, I see, you know, Randall. And it was just fitting uh, because, you know, I can hand him the ball and we're able to celebrate after that. And then everything kind of came back to normal. But in all of those runs, Paul, for me, it all slowed down. It's like slow motion for me. You know, as yeah. you're going through, the ball's in the air. It's slow. You're like, okay, I'm going to have to catch it this way. And as I'm running, things are kind of happening in slow motion. But when I got to the end zone, it all snaps back and it goes to, um, you know, reality. And I see Randall there and handing the ball. So it was, a, you know, just a, a great, you know, opportunity. And I took it. And uh, hopefully, you know, for all Eagle fans, they remember me in that in that way. Yeah. Clearly, in the early 90s, uh, when it was becoming evident there was going to be free agency uh, and, and the owners were going to lose in court, uh, it was obvious that you guys were going to break up. Um, Norman Brayman was was a guy everybody wanted to get as far away from as possible. Reggie left, Reggie left, I think, after the 92 season. Yeah. Seth and Clyde and Andre headed for Arizona after the 93 season. You left after 94. An easy decision for you? Or what was going through your mind when you, when no, you think not back? No, not, not at all. I mean, uh, first of all, you know, not signing Reggie back was just a critical blow for our football team, for the right. fan base. And everyone defensively, we're, we're tight on a team. We're truly brothers. Yeah. Uh, and I actually went to Green Bay uh, in that offseason to just kind of get it all in. Like, Reggie, where are you going? Like, why are you, why are you going up here? Uh, I had a friend, uh, Sterling Sharp, who was a great receiver for the Green Bay Packers. But at the time, I just kind of like, what are you doing, Reggie? You know, so I go up, spend some time with him uh, up there. And, and he was, you know, in a good he was in a good space. You just think that he wasn't valued. In Philadelphia, and I'm not sure if it was ever a point of if the Eagles at that time valued him. It was just I don't think uh, Norman Brayman was going to be in it for the long haul, so he was just kind of saving money. So when he sells, yeah. there's no really no overhead. So so Reggie leaves is crushing, and he calls us that next year because I think we started the year off like six and zero or something. If I can remember, and I remember him saying to you know saying saying to me, "You guys better not go to the Super Bowl," you know. Uh, and so you know things happen. Seth and and Clyde leave, go to Arizona to join Buddy, and that next year coming up, it was just no way that uh, I was going to you know come back and sign when all you know my brothers had left. I just didn't see a a, a, a true path forward. Uh, I knew there was going to be tremendous change and I just didn't, uh, I just think it was time, you know, for me to, to move on. It was, uh, I, I love Philadelphia. I love, you know, where I stayed, I had great neighbors. Uh, my wife loved it there. We had great friends. We loved the fan base, everything about it. But as far as a uh, product on the football field and how 
I wanted to play football. I thought it was going to change, and I just thought it was best that I, you know, take that take that opportunity. Yeah, I'll skip past the three years with the Saints. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please. Do. They, were, they were not the most memorable of your career. Not not because of anything you did. It just was a, a team going in the wrong direction at the wrong time. Oh man, a disaster, man. That's that's. A, I'll come back and we can talk about nightmares and I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> give you some stories about that <laughs> yeah i'll tell you what you know i'm, I'm working on a, a book eric on sam mills and, and okay. he left as you he left he went out the door as you were coming in That's and right. i talked That's to right. people in that organization from that time and i mean it was chaos you know they yeah, had nobody that knew anything about how to handle uh, the, the salary cap uh yeah, they had all these young guys these guys that had gotten old and didn't want to stay anymore, and they couldn't pay them. So it was just, I feel sorry for those three years that you had to deal with it. Yeah. But you end up, at the end of your career, spending four years in in, in with the Raiders, uh, with, yeah. with Gruden. Uh, you helped turn them around. I mean, they two eight and eight seasons, but then, then everything changed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It had to be a nice finish. Uh, what, uh, six interceptions in 2000 when you're 35 years old? <laughs> <laughs> happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I tell you, it was the person who convinced me to go there because I had, I had told uh, the Saints, I'm, I'm not coming back. So you guys need to trade me, you know. So right. I was, uh, I had been in so many, you know, really unique situations, and sometimes, you know, when you don't know better, you just kind of. And I just walked in. I was like, I'm never coming back here. So trade me. And they're like, we're not trading you. Or like, yes, you're going to trade me. And you're going to trade me somewhere where, you know, I want to go. So I'm, you know, I'm telling the GM, uh, you know, these things. And I told them, Jeff Fisher was with Tennessee. I uh, had a great friend in Minnesota. And, and so they knew that. So Jeff calls me. And he's like, hey, you know, come down here. I was like, no, I'm not going down to Tennessee. I want to play in California. And I want to play for the 49ers because I want to play the Saints twice every year and just kick their butts, right? So, uh, so Jeff, you know, Jeff Fisher calls. I'm like, no, nah, Jeff, thanks, but no. Uh, great friend of mine, Randall McDaniel, who's, you know, Hall of Famer. We went to school together in college. He calls me from Minnesota. I'm like, no, I'm not going there. Uh, the Chargers called, hey, come home. I'm like, no, I'm not going there. So, I'm going, you know, I'm just trying to figure out a way how I can get to the 49ers. So before I take my trip to San Francisco to talk to Dwight Clark, I think it was a GM at the time, Willie Shaw calls me, who recruited me out of Arizona State. Right. He's the new he was a coordinator for the Raiders. He says, hey, you know, E, um, I hear that, you know, things are not going well. And won't you take a trip out of here? And I was like, we were a terrible team. We beat you guys last year. I'm not going to Oakland. He's like, hey, listen, we have a new coach. Just come and take a trip. So I, I fly out uh, to Oakland and I get to the facility and I'm talking to this young guy and we're talking about Philly and stuff and how, you know, Philly is cool and everything. So I go upstairs, talk to uh, Mr. Davis. And when I was young, Paul, I had two teams. I had the Raiders because Marcus Allen, Cliff Branch, 
Fred Blitnikoff, those are my guys. Love mm -hmm. them. And I love the Eagles because we had a guy who was a kick returner who went to UCLA. He was from San Diego and he ended up playing in Philly. So he would come back in the off seasons and our youth football team was green and white. So we were like, we associated with, you know, with Philadelphia. Uh, so I, I'm talking to Mr. Davis and I'm like, Mr. Davis, you know, I'm just kind of getting to him all these, you guys had Mike Haynes, you guys had Lester Hayes. And so I'm just talking to him being a fan guy. And, uh, and, and so I leave and he's like, Hey, I want you to go talk to the head coach. I'm like, all right, great. So I walk in the head coach office and the guy I had spoke with when I first got to facility looked like he was like 22 years old. And, and that was John, about really. It ends up being <laughs> Coach Gruden. <laughs> so I'm like, he's like, so what are you going to do, E? And I'm like, oh, I really like it here. Like, Coach, man, you're awesome. And uh, I know what the defense is going to be about. And he's like, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get this young kid out of Michigan, and you're going to teach him up. I mean, it's going to be you and him. And then we'll figure out, you know, the safety point of view. And so yeah. as I'm talking with him, I'm, I'm – I'm feeling it a little bit. What happens is I said, I have to go home and talk to my wife. So as in our conversations with coach Gruden, we had talked a little bit about what went so wrong in new Orleans. And I was like, man, the only thing that was good is I had a great chance to meet a guy named Anthony Newman who played at Oregon and we played against each other, but he played a couple years with me in new Orleans. And that was mm -hmm. the only great thing about it really so I fly home, I talk to my wife, my wife gets on the phone with Anthony's wife and they're talking. And so they give me the phone and this was maybe, I don't know, maybe five or six hours later after I left Oakland. So I'm talking to Anthony. I'm like, Hey, what's going on, man? He's like, nothing much. He's like, guess where I am? I was like, where are you? He said, I'm in Oakland. I was like, what are you doing in Oakland? I just left there. He said, they just flew me down. They're going to sign me. So that conversation I had with Coach Gruden about Anthony, he was willing to go out and sign a strong safety, betting that if I signed him, that I would come down. And he was right. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, it was a perfect scenario. I go there, we en end up getting, you know, Charles Woodson. Uh, we had Eric Turner for a while, who sadly, you know, passed away years uh, yeah. years ago when we were in Oakland, actually. And uh, we just created just great chemistry. And I tried to bring all that Philadelphia defensive energy to the squad and, and just be confident, understanding your game plan, understanding your opponent. And mm -hmm. with when we brought Rich Gannon in, you know, who's a, you know, um, Delaware guy, uh, we really hit the ground running. Yeah, you sure did. We're going to take a quick commercial break, uh, Eric. We'll be right back. All right. In our family, food is our daily bond. My nonna, affectionately called mama by many, found solace and joy in the kitchen, sharing her love through delicious creations. She turned her culinary passion into a flourishing business alongside her husband and sons in 1983. Celebrating 40 years is a testament to our exceptional team, friends, family, and beloved customers. With gratitude, we look forward to the future expanding our brand to share the highest quality Italian food and wine nationwide. Our heartfelt thanks to everyone who has played a part in our story. Grazie mille.
Royal Billiard and Recreation, proudly celebrating 40 years and our new, bigger showroom. Twice the size and twice the fun. More pool tables by Olhausen. More dartboard sets, including custom-reclaimed backboards. More bar and kitchen stools that can change a room. And more bars, including pre-built and custom. Hot tubs, skee-ball, shuffleboard, outdoor, and fun. Royal Billiard and Recreation, your ultimate game room store. Now located on Bethlehem Pike in Colmar. And we're back with former Eagles cornerback Eric Allen. Eric, let's talk the Hall of Fame for a bit. Um, you've been you've made it to the final twenty-five each of the last three years, uh, but I was, I was curious. You know, a lot of guys. Another cornerback who who I covered, Asante Samuel, when he was playing for the Eagles. I mean, even back then, he was he was thinking Hall of Fame. I mean, it, it obsessed. It was it was a, an obsession with him. I mean, he, he would find out each city he played in, he'd find out who the Hall of Fame uh, voter was and, and, and befriend him. And I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I was, cur- I was curious with you. Did you think much about the Hall of Fame in, during your career? And I mean, what's been more frustrating here? The, the years when you weren't in the um, when you didn't make the final 25 and and didn't even know where you stood Mm-hmm. Or, or these last three years, when you're, when you can at least feel that it's within, it's at striking distance. Yeah, I never, I no, to, to, no, I never thought about it while I was playing. It was um, yeah. just trying to, just trying to be the best guy on the field that day. So, you know, when you're playing against prime, you know, you want to get a pick and make sure that. You know, you give uh, Freddie Barnett or Calvin Williams a little tip or so to beat Prime, you know. So at the end of the day, you know, when our peers, which is important, are looking at the game, they're like, oh, man, EA won that battle. You know, uh, yeah. he got a pick, his team won, and, and Calvin Barnett beat Dion or something. You know, that's kind of what it was about me. When I'm in the field with Ronnie Lott, you know, I want to be the better player at the end of the day if it's rob woodson whoever whoever that guy was who was supposed to be on the other side at the end of the day our fan base knows that they had the better defensive back and that's what was important to me from day one in september against the tampa bay buccaneers in 1988 till you know the last one against tom brady in the tuck room i wanted to be the best guy on the field, not who you think is, but when you watch the game, the guy who makes the plays, the guy who's, you know, has an impact in the game. So that was what it was when I was playing. Now, when you get out, it's just a matter of, there's nothing you can do. So I really, it really, until this year, I really never did any, um, prep to find out like who is responsible for submitting me and how they submit me and and how should I go about um uh how 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 I go about trying to figure out if there is anything that I can do because you think the numbers as soon as I retired I wanted to make sure I had 50 or more interceptions because yeah. there were some guys that I knew, particularly the great Larry, 
I tell you, to have 50 more interceptions was was the standard. That's what I thought right. the standard was. And yeah. uh, that's kind of what I laid my hat on after I was over. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked – I mean, I've lobbied for you for several years. Uh, I send letters out to the other selectors uh, every year uh, to make a case. I've asked them, like – I've tried to get a sense of – you know, there are a lot of people that, that feel you should be in the Hall of Fame, but clearly mm -hmm. not enough uh, yeah. for you, you'd be in. So I've tried to find out why. Uh, and I know one of the reasons, and it, it's it's unfair. It, I mean, football is an ultimate team sport. Right. Uh, and yet team uh, people are biased towards winning teams. I mean – uh, yeah. Yeah. win Super Bowl. You guys, you guys never won a Super Bowl, and right. so doesn't make any sense to me because you couldn't. You know, no matter how good you you were, you couldn't control that. Yeah. Uh, you could control what your offense did in Philadelphia. Um, you know, so I mean, that just it's 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 kind of baffling. And yet, you look at you look at a team like Tampa Bay, the 2002 team that yeah. won the Super Bowl, beat the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. Their defense was nowhere near uh, as good as as the the '80s and '90s Eagles defense, and yet they've right. got four people in, in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, your de yeah, your defenses have won, Reggie White. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm hoping they're starting to see the folly in in that whole theory. Um, right. I also Paul, talked to Rich Gannon. Paul, one one thing: Do you think, as far as um, Coaching wise, you know, Buddy didn't rub everybody the right way. Yeah, and and, and so I, you know, I think about those players, us players, uh, outside of Reggie, because obviously, you know, Reggie's one of the greatest yeah. defensive players ever to play in the game. Uh, I, you know, people had mentioned like, hey, man, you know, Buddy probably didn't make many friends, and I talked to yeah. Rob you know, all the time, you know, cause he's a coach with the, with the, with the Raiders. Uh, so, you know, it, we don't know. And like, yeah. hopefully, like you're saying, hopefully these things, uh, these things happen, but you're saying you talked to Rich. Yeah. So I, I talked to Rich and I said, well, what do you, you know, cause I mean, Rich, Rich is one of your biggest supporters. I mean, what I went to, I went to Rich cause he played against you and for you, with you. I uh, talked to Troy Aikman who I'll, I'll tell you what Troy said in a little bit. Uh, but I asked Rich, I said, I mean, you, do you have a theory why, why Eric isn't in the Hall of Fame yet? And he, he came up with an interesting one. He said part of the problem is when you look at his career, he played 14 years. If he had played, say, 10 in Philly and four in Oakland, uh, I think he would be perceived differently and probably would have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. Uh, mm. But when you play in several different places, sometimes it diminishes – your value or at least your perceived value. Uh, I mean, I get, you know, I, I mean, I think more of it is that, you know, but buddy, buddy would, if you ask buddy, he'd tell you what he thought of somebody and he obviously would, would praise you to no end, but bud, bud died very, you know, bud died in the early two thousands. Yeah. Wasn't right. around to, to lobby for you. I think that hurt. Yes. Know? So, um, you know, I you know, I, I I think it's just a matter of time now. But that's just I hope that's not me being. I don't want to give you false hope. Uh, <laughs> you know. we'll see. I mean, 
I, 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 Troy, you know, so I talked to Troy and uh, because I, uh, you know, a couple of years back, Brian Dawkins got into the Hall of Fame in 2017, the same year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Year before was his first year of eligibility, made the finals and didn't get in. Uh, he and John Lynch were both finalists and then they kind of split the vote. And, and, you know, I was like, this is not fair. I mean, John Lynch couldn't hold his jock. You know, I mean, I just, I mean, John got into the Hall of Fame, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but he was yeah. not the player Brian Dawkins was. Right. And so right. a year, a year later, one of the members of the selection committee, uh, Jarrett Bell, I think it was from USA Today, happened to be talking to Bill Belichick a couple of weeks before our meeting uh, in before the Super Bowl. And he, you know, he asked Belichick about Lynch and, and Doc, and you know, I, Belichick laughed. You know, I mean, come on, that's not a comparison. I mean, you know, Doc is really the better player and should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, uh, Belich- uh, Jarrett shares that story during our meeting. Next thing you know, nobody's voting for Lynch and everybody's voting for Dawkins. And and Dawkins <laughs> Doc goes into the Hall of Fame in his second year of eligibility and and you know never looks back. Yeah, so. Yeah. I decided, you know, I got to find, some, you know, who who best to 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 say something about you that that people would listen to, and and Troy played against you from '89 through your last year with the Eagles, and then played against you uh, when you were with the Saints, I believe, and at least once or twice when you were with the Raiders. So, yeah, I went to him, and, and he said, "Hey," he said, "This is an easy one for me, having played against him." said he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I always thought he was such a great player. Uh, he, he mentioned that he and Dion came into the league together. Uh, he said, I played against Dion when he was with Atlanta and San Francisco a few times. And then when he, he was one of my teammates, he said, obviously, he was a shoe in uh, But once you get past Dion, I thought the two best corners I ever played against were Aeneas and Eric, Aeneas Williams. Uh, he said, I just thought Eric was fantastic. I'm a fan of his. Um, he was such a smart guy. There are a lot of talented guys who get out of position, but it was clear he knew the game and knew how to defense receivers and use leverage against them and all of that. He was a risk taker and had all of those interceptions and pick sixes, but I think he was a calculated and heady risk taker in the way he played. So, you know, that seems to be convincing some people that, you know, maybe there, maybe there was any reservations they had about you that are going to change. We'll see. I, the problem yeah. is I don't know who's – it's all secret ballot. We we, we, we yeah. have discussions once we get to the final 15, you know, and I feel once – you know, if you can get from 25 to 15 where – I mean, we spend seven, eight hours in a room discussing those 15 people, and that's kind of when, you know, we find out what people think of everybody. And it's right. – uh, you know, that's why I'm, I'm hopeful that this year you make it to the finals and, you know, it's uh, – Take it from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I tell you the funny things about I had I was watching film and uh there was this one play that that Mike and uh, Troy would run and it was almost unstoppable. It was like Mike would run like five steps, turn his head, and the ball would be there. I'm like, how do you stop that? I mean, what like how do you and so I start calling a glance? A glance <laughs> so I said, you know. In every offseason, what I would do is I would get an offense and I would put myself as a receiver. So, you know, one season we're about to play, I think it was 89. 
we're playing the 49ers. So I just kind of did everything that Jerry Rice would do, right? So fast forward. So I get to, and I'm thinking the Cowboys have this route that's unstoppable. Where, where's the tail? Like what, how do I know this thing is coming? So he would line, Mike would line up about a foot inside the numbers. And every time he did it, it was like one, two, three, four, five, turn his head, ball would be there. I was like, okay, that's it. So <laughs> I would line up, I check the check the alignment and the yeah. snap the ball, I just jump inside. <laughs> the first two times, Troy is like, well, what, what's going on here? You know, what's no one ever breaks <laughs> this pass up. So the next game, they come, he lines up, he looks at me, and then he adjusts his alignment. I was like, okay, I got you know, so we were playing a little cat and mouse, but it's just funny how things like that happen. Yeah, yeah. Eric, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you and going back and talking about the 80s and 90s teams and talking about the, uh, you know, the, the Hall of Fame, which I hope you'll soon be in. So yeah. uh, you take care of yourself. I hope to see you down the road. I hope to one day be uh, congratulating you on making the Hall of Fame. All right. Thanks, man. Really, uh, really appreciate the conversation and go birds. You bet. Uh, we're going to break for commercial. We'll be right back with my uh, top 10 and bottom five power rankings. Hats.com is the premier destination for quality and fashion forward hats and more with designs for every style and trend locally based and run by Philly sports team fanatics. Hats.com can help you elevate your hat. John utilize the easy to use guides at hats.com to find your perfect size and style and shipping and returns are free. Hats.com. Find yourself in a hat. Use code Philly for 15% off your order. Hats.com. In our family, food is our daily bond. My nonna, affectionately called mama by many, found solace and joy in the kitchen, sharing her love through delicious creations. She turned her culinary passion into a flourishing business alongside her husband and sons in 1983. Celebrating 40 years is a testament to our exceptional team, friends, family, and beloved customers. With gratitude, we look forward to the future, expanding our brand to share the highest quality Italian food and wine nationwide. Our heartfelt thanks to everyone who has played a part in our story. Grazie mille. And we're back and uh, now it's time to uh, finish our show with the last portion, uh, our high-tech uh, power rankings. So I'm going to move this com uh, computer over so you can get a Glance at the board as we go through the bottom five and the top 10 this week. You can see I've already got the, the logos down for the, uh, uh, for the bottom five. We'll start with 28. We got a newcomer this week, uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, Packers are making their first appearance of the season in the bottom five after back-to-back -back road losses to the Raiders and Broncos. Jordan Love has just four TD passes and seven interceptions in the Packers' last four games. Uh, number 29, we've got uh, Denver. Uh, it's going to take more than a two-point home win over Green Bay to make me forget 70 to 20. So they're, uh, they're going to be in the bottom five for a while. Uh, number 30, uh, got Washington. Uh, losers 14-7 uh, to the Giants on, on Sunday. Eric Bieniemy's decision uh, to leave Andy Reid and the Chiefs and try to make his mark in D.C. Uh, 
has not been a great career move for him so far. Commanders are 20th in the league in scoring, and Sam Howell already has thrown seven interceptions. Uh, we'll see uh, what happens this week when they play the Eagles. Number 31, we've got the Cardinals. Uh, they lost for the sixth time in seven games Sunday. Kyler Murray is practicing this week and might return this week against uh, Baltimore, but uh, does anybody really care? Uh, number 32, last, the worst team in uh, the NFL once again and probably uh, in per perpetuity is the Carolina Panthers, 0-6. They're coming off a bye, but at least so they at least they should be well rested when they play Houston this week. They've got a chance to win, but uh, they put three three of their key players on uh, IR this week, so I'm not very hopeful uh, that they're going to turn it around anytime soon. I feel sorry for Frank Reich. Going to the top ten now. Number ten, we've got for the first time Cleveland Browns, uh, 39-38 winners over in uh, Indianapolis. No Deshaun Watson for most of the game, no problem. Uh, former Temple star P.J. Walker led the Browns to their second straight win and their first appearance in the Damo Top 10. Number nine, we've got uh, Pittsburgh, uh, same place they were last year, last week, I'm sorry. Uh, nobody's paying much attention to the Steelers right now, but you probably should. They won their second straight game, beating the Rams 24-17 a week after upsetting Baltimore. Number eight, Detroit Lions. Figures, I moved them up to second last week, and they go out and lay an egg in a 32-point loss to Baltimore. They should bounce back fine on Monday night this week against the bad, awful Raiders, but they're going to have to earn my uh, – Respect again after after that loss to the Ravens. Number six, or number seven, I'm sorry. We have the Cowboys. Cowboys aren't playing great on either side of the ball. They're coming off a bye. They've got just six sacks in the last four games. And running back Tony Pollard is averaging just uh, 3.9 yards per carry. So they've got to crank it up on both sides of the ball or they're going to be a uh, – eating the Eagles' dust uh, real soon for uh, much of the rest of the season. Number six, we've got the team the Eagles beat last week, the Dolphins, 5-2. and two. The Dolphins were held scoreless in the second half Sunday night in their loss to the Eagles. Their five wins are over teams with a combined 8-25 and 25 record. So take that for what it's worth. Number five. They've been in and out of the top 10. Uh, they're five and two now. The Ravens won their second in a row, uh, beating Detroit uh, handily, obliterating the Lions and putting up season highs in yards and points. Number four, we've got the 49ers down from two. Probably should deserve a bigger drop than two spots, but. They were a team that looked unbeatable a couple of weeks ago, uh, and even with two losses in a row, they're still one of the best teams in the league, and I got a feeling that it's just a matter of time before they turn it around here. Number three, we've got the Jacksonville Jaguars. They were six last week, moving up to three. Uh, their win over the Saints was their fourth W in a row. 
Trevor Lawrence has thrown just one interception in those four straight wins. Big game Sunday in Pittsburgh against the four and two Steelers should tell us a lot about both teams. Number two, the Eagles. Uh, had them fourth last week. They uh, they moved up. It was a good week for them. They not only beat the Dolphins to go six and one, but they also acquired two-time All-Pro safety Kevin Byard from the Titans, who uh, will be a big asset to a, a defense that's thin on the back end. And last but not least, as you can uh, suspect uh, from elimination here, the same team that was number one last week, the Chiefs. Uh, 31-17 winners over the, the, the Chargers last week. They remain number one. Uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend has caught 31 passes from Patrick Mahomes in the last three games. So clearly women do not weaken legs, as uh, Mick told Rocky back in uh, the first Rocky movie. Okay, I'll move this uh, back. There we go. Hang on just a second. Okay. That's our show for today. I'm uh, really excited uh, that you're able to join in. Uh, when I talked to Eric Allen, we had a nice talk. You're going to love next week's show. Uh, in advance of uh, the uh, Eagles playing the Cowboys in their first meeting of this, uh, of this season, I'm going to have Merrill Reese, uh, the voice of the Eagles, and Brad Sham, the uh, longtime voice of the Dallas Cowboys on together. They're, they're longtime good friends. Also two of the best uh, radio broadcast, uh, broad, play-by-play -play broadcasters in the game. Why they're not in the Hall of Fame is a mystery to me. Um, besides Eric Allen, I've been uh, uh, lobbying for those two too, but I, my pleas so far have, have uh, fallen on deaf ears. Anyway, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank uh, my uh, producer, Ralph Dell, for guiding me through another podcast episode. Uh, if you're interested, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at PDAMO. My email address is pdamo at AOL.com. You also can read me on America's Best Pro Football website, the33rdteam.com, and at jacobsports.com. I also co-host uh, NFL Monday Night Kickoff on WBCBSports.com with my good buddy, Paul Jolovitz. Thanks for joining me today and uh, aloha.